This is Nectar Devotion, October 9th, 2012, Rindavan, first part of the introduction, part two. All right, did anybody else have any other questions on the preface before we go on to the introduction? We can take utmost, utmost, ten more minutes, anything on the preface. The preface is so rich, I really want to make sure that anything else on the preface. Yes? Yes, can you repeat it again? Yes. Oh, sure. Maybe, maybe. Okay, so the idea is renovating the rasa means the rasa is already there. It's pre-existing. Okay, now this you feel is opposite. You think this quote here is opposite? Looks like, Looks like it's opposite. All right, let's see. How many of you think it's opposite and how many of you think it's compatible? Turn on the microphone. Turn on the microphone. Yes. Okay. Did everybody hear or should I repeat? Repeat. Okay. Rewind. So, Srila Prabhupada uses the word renovating our rasa. Renovating means it's already there. It's just a question of waking up, it's already there. And Arupanuga has brought a quote that he feels says the opposite, which would mean it isn't already there. Okay. So, we will read this and see if you feel that he's correct, that it is the opposite, or is it compatible? And if it's the opposite, how will we reconcile it? You'll also be one of the associates of Krishna as you desire. Krishna will give you the opportunity to serve him as you desire. If you want to serve him as a gopi, you'll get that position. If you want to serve him as Cowherd's boyfriend, you'll get that opportunity. If you want to serve Krishna following in the footsteps of Mother Yasoda, accepting Krishna as your son, you'll get it. Okay? Thoughts? Is that, is what Prabhupada said that the opposite of renovating, or is it the same as renovating? Hmm? Okay, how do you feel it doesn't contradict? Okay, so you're saying that, that what Prabhupada is identifying as a desire is the beginning of the awakening of the original relationship. Yes? And there is a relationship, like from before, it's not that there's no relationship, there must be something. That's, that's the whole idea. Okay. Yes? Okay, so it sounds like very much the same thing. That what we want comes from who we are. Can you also say that who we are is because it's what we want? Yes. Are you thinking in terms of time? So in terms of time, there's a time when I don't want, and then there's a time that I make a decision and then I want. But if I'm eternally something, it may be because I eternally want to be that something. And that's a very hard, you know, how do I have a choice that doesn't occur in time? How can I have no beginning of that desire? As soon as you get out of time and space, the mind kind of it just it, anything out of time and space doesn't make sense to our materially conditioned minds. But if I have no beginning, and if having no beginning, I've always been a whatever. I've always been Krishna's father, or I've always been Krishna's girlfriend, or I've always been Krishna's friend, or I've always been Krishna's servant. From no beginning, but and I've always desired to be that. I think, you know, the confusion between this comes to some extent because my material desires don't work out very well. I don't know about you guys, but for me, my material desires don't work out very well. 
So I have this body because of my material desires, and I'm not entirely happy with it. I have never once looked in the mirror and said, yes. You know, I'm, I'm really not really satisfied with the body I have, the mind I have, my family, love them, but you know, so many things. So I'm thinking that spiritual desires will be like that. That I might say, well, I want to be a coward boy, but maybe once I get to be a coward boy, I won't like it. And I'll say, well, I think I'd rather be a gopi. And maybe I won't like that. And then I'll say, oh, now can I try being a cow? Because that's what I've been doing in the material world. You know, I've said, okay, what would it be like to be a Norwegian woman? I'll check that out for a while. Nah, I didn't like that. I'll try being an Australian man. Nah, I didn't like that. I'm going to try being a demigod. Nah, it didn't work out very well. You know, so we're thinking that it's something like that. But it's not. And there's another answer, which relates to your question. Why would you ask your question? Prophet says in Bhagavad Gita that our relationship, eternal relationship with Krishna is fixed. So how is it like when we hear Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes in this yoga specifically with praying now Sankitan, meaning he gives the opportunity for Madhurya Rasa to things indiscriminately. Does that mean we choose or change our rasa? So what we see here is we see, first of all, that Mahaprabhu did get some people to change their position from Ram Bhaktas to Krishna Bhaktas, for example, or from Narayan Bhaktas to Krishna Bhaktas, which to me indicates they were not yet in their final position. Like Gopu Kumar, Gopu Kumar and Vriyad Bhagavatamrita, he keeps going up until he reaches his final position. Once he gets there, then that's where he stays. And later on, after devotion, Prabhupada says, even in Vaikuntha, some people may still be making progress. Whereas, like in the ninth chapter of the first canto, Prabhupada says that one will attain to Vaikuntha or Goloka Vrindavan depending on one's personal rasa. So it could be that a person attains a kind of perfection, but it's not their ultimate destination. Immediately, they may be going, they may be still, as Prabhupada says in Ekra Devotion, going through stages. And another answer is that you don't have to only be one thing. Isn't that nice? So in material life, I can't be both an American and an Indian, although I've been trying to do that for quite some time, but it doesn't quite work very well. When I'm in America, people look at me funny because I'm wearing a sari, and when I'm in India, people look at me funny because I'm white. (laughs) You don't really fit in anywhere except inside of our Krishna temple. (laughs) So... The first time I was going to come to India, I thought, great, I'm finally going to go someplace where I won't be a freak. <laughs> For those of you who are white-skinned, that's a very funny thing to think. <laughs> so, you know, I can only be one thing at a time in this world. But spiritually, you can be more than one thing at a time. There's people who are associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as Brahmin men, and then they're associates of Krishna as cowherd girls. And some of them are also monkeys in Mandula. So you can be more than one thing. And each, in each place, you're going to have a slightly different rasa, so you can experience more than one rasa. At the same time, eternally, there you go. Is our rasa, is the rasa fixed or is it something we develop? Because there was the issue aim for the highest rate, aim for I understand that it's something that's fixed. However, for some people, they may immediately go to that state, and other people may go through other states first. For example, I know of a devotee born in the movement who was remembered a past life of meditation on Narayan and actually leaving the body while meditating on Lord Narayan and being in Shanta Rasa. And this this devotee told me it's really a struggle to get beyond Shanta Rasa. I tend to just stay in Shanta Rasa. 
desirable person. That may, that's not this person's ultimate destination. But other people may not go through Shantarasa, so people may go directly to Vatsalvarasa or to Madhuryarasa. So many devotees, as their Krishna consciousness awakens, they'll immediately realize, oh, I'm a counterpoint, or I'm a And they may not first be in Shantarasa, on the Ryan, and then Dasarasa, and they may not go through. It's in different stages. Other people go through different stages. Just like some people are first going to realize Brahman, and then they're going to realize Paramatma, and then they're going to realize Bhagavan. And I assume a lot of us are not going to first realize Brahman. Because we don't really care, I hope. Or you can go, like it's explained in the Bhagavatam, you can go through each of the material planets to go back to Bhagavatam. You can take a tour. And some devotees take a tour. But you don't have to. You can just go right back to home. So some people take a tour, some people go back to home. And you can have more than one person. And I think that's the best I can do for the answer to that question. My bottom line is that nobody's going to cheat us. It's not like material things where, you know, something looks good and it's not what it appears to be and you wish you'd made a different choice. You know, that, that ain't going to happen. And no one's going to force you to something you didn't want. Oh, man, that's my fixed position? God, but I wanted that. <laughs> I mean, I remember one is kind of weird. <laughs> who was giving a class trying to get everybody to go out and distribute books, and he said, the book distributors, they're preachers. They're following in the footsteps of the six Goswamis who are all gopis. So if you distribute books, you become a gopi. Whereas if you just stay back worshiping the deity, you'll become a rock. That was his way of inspiring everybody to go out and sell children all these books. So it's not like that. It's not like, you know, Krishna's going to say to you, okay, listen, you are the servant who takes care of my ankle bells, but I don't want to be the servant who takes care of my ankle bells. I want to do something else. No, I'm sorry. That's your fixed dress up. <laughs> but Prabhupada said here, I could serve you as I desire. Yeah, but he says, we're well, here, it's going to be fixed, so that's too bad. <laughs> It's what we desire. Who we are eternally is who we are eternally. It's who I am. Just like materially who I am. What does who I am mean in a, in a false, temporary, material, upani way? It means what I like, right? Some people really like halva. Some people really don't like halva. Some people like orange. Some people like purple. Some people like green. Some people like sweets, some people like chili. If you're going to define what does personality mean, what does personality mean? It means what I like, what my opinions are, what my tastes are. Correct? Yes. So I have an eternal personality, which is what I like. Now, how does that happen without it happening at a particular point in time is very mysterious to us. Because then it seems I must have been created that way. But I wasn't created. I'm eternal. I think that's the best I can do. Any other quick things on the preface? Yes? I'm sorry? No. 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 When it says Jivaras uh, Rapaya Krishna Nitadasa, that's not talking about one of the buses. Because everyone is Krishna's servant in some way. And, and Krishna Das Kaviraj goes through that. That every, all the different rasas consider themselves Krishna's servant. Okay, anything else? What we're doing in the introduction is not is, is very easy and quick. So I'm not worried that we're not going to spend much time. Yes. Why did they? 
Oh, well, uh, the reason Bindu and Sanatana Goswami accepted service in the Mohammedan government is that they were very qualified, and the, the government officials said, if you don't serve the government, we'll kill the Vaishnavas. Huh? They did it to protect the devotees. Yes? Yes, in other words, that proper used the word supervision. So just like in a, in a school, you may get an entrance exam to see how much you know, but then the teacher looks at the exam and says, okay, you belong in this class, and you belong in this class, and you belong in this class. So I had students who come and said, I already know this, I don't need to take this class. So I don't just say, okay, I give them an exam, and then I see, can they really go to this class or not? So dive in and train them, the supervision. There's some person, I don't know, some person, ultimately Krishna, but many, many. There's Yamaraj, Yamaraj has many agents, there's many demigods. They're all, you know, they're checking up on things. What are you actually doing? How are you passing your different tests? No, 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 it's not just a program. It's a program, but there's programmers. There's people involved. Just like even in in our court system, there's judges and there's lawyers. It's not just something in a computer. You can't just put in a computer, this person killed somebody, what should their sentence be? You know, there's there's a judge and there's, there's people. Is that okay? Other things from the preface? Yes. But put some simple information on the device, four sections. Yes, that we're going to get to in a moment. Then waves. Yes. Waves. Because they're in the ocean. All the waves are the same. I don't know if it's different. It's poetry. It's just poetry. It's not, poetry isn't meant to be, uh, poetry isn't mathematical. Isn't logical, isn't mathematical, it's just just pretty. Anything else on the preface? Well, I have a few more questions, but maybe it's uh, Okay, well, why don't we go over this part of the introduction, then we can have questions on this part of the introduction, and if anyone has anything remaining on the preface. But the preface is so rich, isn't it? Yes. I mean, really, the, the preface really could be discussed for at least three or four months. Okay, and the, the part of the introduction we're doing today starts with the Mangalacharanam, where Rupa Goswami is dedicating the book to Krishna, to Rasaraj, the person who is the chief or the leader of all Rasas. Sometimes people say Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Rasaraj. Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is experiencing some Rasas that Krishna is not, and vice versa. But the same person in different moods. But to Krishna, who's Rasaraj, and Prabhupada's giving us this verse, captivated all the gopis, headed by Tarika, Palika, Shama, Lavi, Temple, Tumani, Shivati, Rani. Tarika and Palika, Krishna is controlling them, Shama and Lalita, he's including them, and Radharani, he's submissive to. So, Akila Rasamrita Murti, of all the, the form of all of the Rasas. And then, Srila Prabhupada himself is having a little Mangala Charma here. He's, Prabhupada kind of steps back for a minute and says, I'm going to offer my respects to Rupa Goswami and Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati and to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Then he goes back to Rupa Goswami, offers obeisances to Sanatana Goswami. Actually, he just says Sanatana, which can be interpreted as a name for Krishna, or as Sanatan Goswami. And it's nice that Rupa Goswami is wanting Sanatan Goswami to always be happy. So this is uh, this is the natural position of, of all of us. We want our friends and associates to be happy. So the 
define the objective of the book, what's the goal of the book. The goal of the book is to obtain Rasaraj Krishna, to please Rasaraj Krishna. That's what the book exists for. And the book is inspired by Sanatana Goswami, by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and Shiva Prabhupada's book is also inspired by Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. And now Rupa Goswami offers obeisances to all the great devotees, which he compares to sharks. So the personalists talk about how the rivers go and merge in the ocean and everything merges and all the different rivers from all the different places. Doesn't matter where they are, they all merge in the ocean and everything becomes the ocean. But what they don't see is that there's fish in the rivers and when the fish go in the ocean, they do not merge with the ocean. So the sharks are not merged with the ocean. They're enjoying the ocean, but the sharks never go in the rivers. They only go in the ocean. So the great devotees are like sharks because, the, first of all, they don't merge with the ocean. Second of all, they never go into the rivers. They only care about the ocean. They don't care about anything uh, subordinate. And also, uh, they don't usually get caught in a fisherman's net. They're too big and too powerful. They don't get caught by birth and death. So therefore, Uta Goswami calls them sharks. And then Rupa Goswami says uh, something quite interesting. It reminds me also of what Krishna Das Kaviraj says. Krishna Das Kaviraj says this book is very advanced. It's very high topics about Chaitanya Charitamrita. And how can we dare to discuss such high, to write down such high topics? He says, we don't have to worry. The materialists won't understand them anyway. So Rupa Goswami is saying that, you know, the logicians, they may criticize what I'm doing, they might find fault with it, but they're going to be like volcanoes in the ocean. Now, of course, it's interesting because volcanoes in the ocean do something. Hmm? That's earthquakes in the ocean. So earthquakes in the ocean cause tsunamis. But volcanoes in the ocean do something. Do you know what they do? They create islands. Of course, it takes an awfully long time, like a few million years, for a volcano under the ocean to create an island. I know because I spent some time living on such a place with an active volcano that is still creating the island. Yeah, I tell people that. So we're in the Arathiatran volcano, I said. I said, we have Arathiatran volcano? I said, yeah, it's an active volcano. And it is. But these volcanoes in the ocean, they don't really cause much trouble when they're underwater. A volcano on the land causes a lot of trouble. So in this ocean of devotion of the Bhakti Rasamrita to Sindhu, Sindhu's ocean, if the logicians complain, you know, it'll form a little island here and there, but it won't really disturb anybody. So that, those are his analogies. And then he says, what's his attitude? He says, he's trying to spread Krishna consciousness all over the world, although he thinks he's unfit for this work. This should be the attitude of all preachers of the Krishna consciousness movement. Never think of ourselves as great preachers, that we are simply instruments to the previous Acharya. So this is what Rupa Goswami, who's you know, practically like the head of our Sampradaya, he's thinking like this. What to speak of ourselves thinking like this. We always see ourselves as assistants and as servants. Srila Prabhupada always presented himself like that. Always. Consistently. I'm just a servant of my spiritual master. I just have faith in my spiritual master. And then how the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu was divided, I have it up here on the board. And in this class, we only cover the Eastern Ocean which is the overview of bhakti, which is what we're going to be doing especially tomorrow, devotional service and practice and ecstasy and in love of God. So general description is this introduction, all the introduction and chapter one. And sadhana bhakti, a devotional service and practice is chapters two to 16, or you could say two to 14. Devotional service and ecstasy is uh, 17 and 18. And in pure love of God is chapter 19. Now, chapter 15 and 16 are Raghunuga Bhakti, but below the level of Bhava. So that's how the book's divided. And then, this is basically this eastern section is a progression. 
you were asking me about being a writer and what's the difference between content. How, how does organization and material relate to content? So here you can see, those of you who have interest in writing and speaking and teaching, how does Rupa Goswami organize his content? Now, this is not the only way you could have organized it, but it certainly makes a lot of sense. So first he gives you what is, what is emotional service? What are we even talking about? Then he talks about three levels of devotional service, which are progressive. So here's devotional service, but is all devotional service on the same level? No. Here there's three levels. Then he starts talking about the highest levels. The rest of the book is about the highest levels. The southern, western, and northern ocean are just about above and through the Bhakti. So here in the Southern Ocean, he talks about the five parts of rasa. So, so far in this class, and even in the introduction and the preface, Srila Prabhupada has been using the word rasa almost synonymously with saibhav, which is really just a part of rasa. other aspects of rasa. So this is the, the vibhav means Krishna himself. What stimulates your rasa, what stimulates your feeling is Krishna, or the devotees of Krishna. Anubhava is what you do to express that love for Krishna. Sattvic above is what you do involuntarily to express that love for Krishna. Vyabhachari above are periodic occasional expressions, and Saibhav is science-fixed, your general feeling towards Krishna. So you have Rupa Goswami is taking these and saying, okay, these are the elements in which it manifests. Then he's taking this and saying, those are the five Saibhavs. Now, for each of these saibhavs, he's also describing vibhava, anubhava, sattvikabhava, and vavacharibhava. Then he also describes the seven secondary ones, and then some little notes at the end about what's incompatible and what's distorted. So there's a very clear structure to the book. It's not just throwing, throwing content at you outside of the structure. It's a very logical and progressive structure. But this is all that we do in this class. Okay, do you have any questions? This is all we're doing in the introduction for today. I, I want to write that Do I want you to write that You're surely welcome to if you want to. You may be asked it at some point. Um, it, it, you may be asked this at some point. At least you should know, uh, at the very, very least, you should know that there's eastern and southern and western and northern. And you should know that in the eastern, there's an overview and a progression, because that's the main thing we're studying. You should know that in the southern, there's a delineation of rasa in general. In the western, the primary rasas, and in the northern, the secondary rasas. You wouldn't need to know the whole list, but at least the headings. Yes, you should. Do I want you to copy all of that down? That's up to me. Yes? Incompatible. Oh, sorry. Incompatible and distorted. Oh, southern? You can't see? Stibov. S-T-H-A-Y-I.
discussions on the Mangalacharana, the analogies, the way that nectar devotion is divided, or any further questions or discussion on the preface. If there's someone who hasn't asked, I'll give them preference. Somebody who hasn't yet. I asked you all to have at least one. Yes? There are terms like this, Vaidhi Bhakti, Sadhana Bhakti, Bhav Bhakti. How would that fit into this uh, practices? Yes. Very good question. Thank you. So this is question. He's asking things like Sadhana Bhakti, Vaidhi Bhakti, Bhava Bhakti. Yes. So... Devotional service in ecstasy is bhava bhakti. Devotional service in love of God is prema bhakti. Devotional service in practice is sadhana bhakti. Although in ecstasy is also a kind of sadhana in a sense. And then vaidi, devotional service in practice is also divided into vaidi and raganuga bhakti. So like this is chapter 19. This is chapter 18. And then in, 16, in 15, 16, 17 is it? 15, yeah. No, this is 17, 18, sorry. 17, 18 is Baba Bhakti. And in 15 and 16 is Raganuga Sadhana. And then from 2 to 14 is Vaidhi Sadhana. So in Sadhana in terms of Vaidhi is 2 to 14. Sadhana in terms of Raganuga is 15 to 16. And Baba is 17 and 18. And Krama is 19. Thank you. Sadhana simply means practice. And uh, we'll be getting into this more later. But Sadhana Bhakti Vaidhi means I'm doing the practice because it's in the scripture. I don't really have a feeling for it yet. Or I have just a little bit of feeling. Something like a person learning to play the piano or any musical instrument. And at first... You're, you're, you're doing things because your teacher tells you to do them. And you don't want to do them. And your, your mommy says, have you practiced? You're like, oh, you might have to practice. You know, you do. And at a certain point, you actually have a feel for what you're doing. Something similar definition like this for Vaidhi Yeah. Something similar definition. That is Vaidhi Bhakti I just described. No, Sadhana Bhakti means practice. So Sadhana Bhakti that's Vaidhi, there's Sadhana Bhakti that's Vaidhi Bhakti, and Sadhana Bhakti that's Raganuga Bhakti. So think about somebody playing a musical instrument. So even the experts may still practice, but there's a big difference between an expert practicing and a beginner practicing. So the beginner practicing, they're just learning the scales, they're learning just the basic elements of music. And they may not even enjoy their practice. They may enjoy it sometimes. It may seem like a chore. And they're practicing because their teacher told them to. And they may think, oh, i got to practice today. But somebody who's a more advanced student, they look forward to practicing, and they have a feel for the music, and they're enjoying playing music. And they may even practice more than the teacher said. Like Arjuna was out practicing shooting arrows at night. Correct? He went beyond the teacher because he was excited. He was interested. Oh, maybe I can shoot arrows at night. So he's still practicing, but that's Raganuga, that's not Vaidhi, even though there's still a kind of practice. Um, another example Prabhupada gives, which maybe doesn't make a whole lot of sense to most of us today, is that of arranged marriages, when the marriages were arranged and people were very young, and the children would sometimes meet, but there was no feeling. There's no feeling between, you know, eight-year-old children. So it's just the parents say, okay, give your husband a sweet ball, but there's no feeling. So they're practicing but even, even after you love somebody, you're still practicing to love them, isn't it? Especially when you first meet somebody and they would get married. You know, they, hadn't, they weren't alone together before they were married. So when they're married, they're still having to learn how to love each other. So that may be there at the advanced stages also. So there is a Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti. There is a practice of Raganuga Bhakti. 
stage? Advanced stage of. At what stage? Advanced. Advanced stage of uh, this Rajasuga uh, Bhakti that matures when they have attained their uh, perfection. Are you making a statement or a question? No, no, no. I'm, my question is. This Raghunuga Bhakti is again the second part of the Sadhana Bhakti. Yes. Bhakti Bhakti and this. So when they get their perfection, what is that called then? Prema Bhakti. That, that, that's, that becomes Prema Bhakti. Yes. Although Baba Bhakti is also considered a kind of perfection. So, so Rupa Goswami is distinguishing Baba Bhakti from Sadhana. He's no longer, once you're at Baba Bhakti, he's no longer considering that you're practicing anymore. Although you're still not perfect, because even in Prema Bhakti, you go on becoming more and more and more and more perfect forever. But there is a distinction between Bhava and Prema. In Bhava, you're not seeing Krishna face to face. So there, there's there's some distinction. So after Prema, is the Bhava? It, it's expanding forever. You know, I mean, even materially, you can be an expert musician and you can be the best in the world, that doesn't mean you can't get better. Correct? Who's uh, like Ravi Shankar? Is he still living? So he can still get better. You understand? It's not like. But what to speak of spiritually, you can keep getting better and better and better and more and more and more perfect and more and more in love with Krishna. You don't reach your point again, of satiation, where you say, okay, now I'm pure, there's nowhere else to go. You know, materially, maybe that can happen. Materially, you can become a great something, a great engineer, a great mathematician, a great sculptor, a great dancer, and you reach the point that there really isn't much more to know. It, it gets to the point that it's boring, that you've mastered something so completely that there just isn't much else left for you to do. And you say, okay, I've already done that, let me do something else. So spiritually it's not like that. You don't master devotional service. And okay, now it's boring, let me try something else. At the same time, you can see that there's a level where there's, there's no material contamination, zero, and where you're completely in love with Krishna and you're absorbed in Krishna in your spiritual form. Anything else? Everyone should have at least one question. Who is there who hasn't asked anything? Yes. Uh, at what point um, the devotee um, Oh, that's a lovely question. At what point do you transfer from Vaidhi Bhakti to Raghavindra Bhakti? That's exactly like asking, at what point do you transfer from being a child to being an adult? exactly that kind of question. Can you give an answer for that? Sort of. It's, it's quite individual. I mean, a government can put an age on it. So a government can say, when you're 18 or when you're 20, or when you're, we're like in America, when you're 18 you can vote, but when you're 21 you can drink, and when you're 16 you can drive. <laughs> So, you know, you're an adult in some ways at this age, in some ways at this age, in some ways. And people have argued for years about this and said, why don't you make one age for everything? And then it's individual. You know, people mature individually. And as I said the other day, you know, a child may display adult behavior in something sometimes even when they're a child. So you may find yourself exhibiting some aspects of Raghunuga Bhakti even while you're still in Vaidhi Bhakti and some aspects of Vaidhi Bhakti once you're in Raghunuga Bhakti. Another example, the example Haridastha Kaur gives us is the sun rising. So when the sun's rising in the morning, here we're close to the equator, so it rises really quickly. But in places where you're further and there's a long, and how long is in Norway, but I'll is pretty long. So when there's a long sunrise or a long sunset, so at first there's just light diffused because the sun's still under the horizon. And those of you who remember from science class about you have cones and rods in your eyes and your retina. Do you all remember this from science class? And the rods can only see black and white, and the cones can see color, but the rods can function in dimmer light. So when you notice when first the sun's rising, you can't see colors. Okay? When the sun's below the horizon, you can start to see the shapes of things. 
but you can't see colors. And gradually the sun rises. It's not even here close to the equator. It's not that it's pitch dark and then poof, it's noon. You know, so Haridas Dakur was saying that as soon as the sun's even below the horizon, you're considered liberated. So going to Raghunuga Bhakti is very much like that. You know, at first just there's some light, but things are still very vague and colorless and general. And gradually one starts to see the color and the variety. Another analogy is that of waking up. So waking up for most of us, again, happens gradually. The scientists, I think, say it takes 20 minutes before you're in full waking consciousness, even after you've gotten out of bed. But, you know, when you're lying in bed, most of us don't wake up and just go, jump, and jump out of bed, right? And then you do So usually it's a little slow process, you know. Oh, okay, it's 3 o'clock. What day is it? Oh, it's Tuesday. What do I have to do today? Oh, my alarm's ringing. Do I want to hit the snooze button? Do I want to turn it off? And for people like me who travel all the time, where am I? Which way is my bed facing? How do I get out of the bed? <laughs> what country am I in? What room am I in? So that's, that's a gradual... Then you, oh, yes, okay, here, I'm, I'm here. Oh, I'm in and I'm in that room, and this is what I'm doing. And there's where the light switch is, and this room, and so forth, and so on. Does that make sense to everybody? So going from Vaya Bhakti to Raghavinu Bhakti is also something like that. And also sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night, right? And then you go back to sleep. Right? So you may wake up a little bit in the middle of the night and go back to sleep. And when you're first waking up, you're not really sure if you're awake. Right? Have you ever been like half dreaming and half awake and you're not really sure if you're awake or asleep and what's a dream and what's reality? I remember one time having a dream that I woke up and went to school. And so when I woke up, I thought it was the next day. You know, so it's... We're not really sure. Or just like, you know, all of us who become adults. So I'm, I know there was a point, at least for me, when I wasn't really sure if I was a child or an adult. Do you all remember that? I got out my toys and I tried to play with them. There was no rasa in them anymore. They just didn't work. So from Vaidhi to Raghavati is also generally like that. There, there's times in Vaidhi Bhakti where you may feel aspects of Raghavati Bhakti and gradually it becomes more and more and more. It's not that, you know, on Monday you're in Vaidhi Bhakti and on Tuesday you're in Raghavati Bhakti. Not usually. Even if you have some really incredible dynamic spiritual experience on Tuesday morning, which I know many devotees who have wonderful and incredible and spiritual experiences. I mean, seriously, even if on Tuesday morning while you're chanting your japa, there's Krishna sitting next to you, looking at you, and this really happens to devotees in Iskana and some of the people walking around that you see every day having this happen to them. It doesn't mean that on Tuesday suddenly you're totally in Bhagavad-Bhakti. Does that make sense to everybody? Just like, you know, when the boy's voice starts changing, it doesn't mean he's immediately a man. Correct? It's not like, oh, now I have a deep voice. No, I'm a man. You know, no, it's gradual. So there may be one awakening of something. Right? So you can see the silhouettes of the trees, but that doesn't mean it's noon. Yes. So maybe the question should have been more, how do you tell by the symptoms, or by the symptoms? Okay. Of course, we'll get to this later on in the book, but this is appropriate since we're talking about the structure of the nectar devotion. What are the symptoms of Raghavati Bhakti? That you start having a natural, spontaneous desire to serve Krishna. And again, that exists to some extent, even in the beginning. Huh? Yes, 
To some extent, that can happen even in Vaidhi Bhakti. The monk can say, I really like making garlands for Krishna, or I really like reading Bhagavad Gita. I pick up and read the Bhagavad Gita not because I have to read it from my Bhakti Shastri class, but because I love reading Bhagavad Gita. So that's a little indication. You know, you're talking about desire, something that you really feel is your desire. Of course, it's all our desire. We all have a desire to be devotees. That's why we're here. Nobody's forcing us. But still, when there's maybe a particular time, you feel this is what I desire. But the main symptom will be an awakening of your attachment to Krishna as a person. Krishna will not be a philosophical idea. become attached to Krishna as a person. You become attached to some of Krishna's qualities. You may have an awakening of your Steinbog. You may start feeling, oh, wow, Krishna's my friend, or Krishna's my lover, or Krishna's my child. That feeling will start to awaken. How do you know if it's real? How do you know any feelings are real? That's kind of a silly question. If I see a little baby monkey, I naturally think, oh, how cute. Right? We have some kind of parental, correct? Right? Or if I see a little human baby, there's some. Yes? No? Yes? 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 It's almost 4 30 and your just mind is not leaving. So if I see a little baby, I naturally feel parental. Don't you? Yes? Yes. Yes. For most of us, most humans. Some people make me feel disgusted. Most people feel some. <laughs> most people feel some. Depending on the baby. Perhaps. But most of us feel protect, some protective instinct when, it, when we see each other. I think that the vast majority of human beings feel a natural, instinctive, automatic, protective, caring instinct when we see each other even when we see a, a baby of another species. We have a tendency to feel like that. When you see your friend, you have a natural feeling of friendship. Any of us who fall in love with the opposite sex, it's just, just you don't just, is that real? You know. Do you have to go to your friends and say, is it real? I mean, it may be confusing. It may be like, what is this? Why am I feeling this? What kind of feeling is it? You may not really understand it but you know that you feel it. Or someone you feel like you want to serve. Some people that you see like you're just in awe of and you think, wow, I wish I could do something for them. I wish I could help them. I wish I could assist them in some way. So when one starts feeling that towards Krishna, one sees Krishna as a person, not as an idea, not as a philosophical idea, not as a concept, but as a person, just like you see the other of all of us as the other people in your life as people. You don't just see them as ideas. You see them as individuals and you may feel attracted to them or attached to them as an individual in some sort of relationship. So one symptom of Raghunathu Bhakti is one will just naturally feel them. And it won't be something that you just do with your mind. There's a, there's a qualitative difference between the mind and the soul. And we have all, I'll end with this, we have all experiences, I'm sure. Maybe not all the time, but sometimes you're in a kirtan and you experience that the music is much more pleasurable than you can explain simply by the musical talent of the musicians involved. So you could go to hear a musical concert of people who might be far more talented and creative than the kirtan leaders, but your enjoyment of the kirtan, in other words, your enjoyment of the kirtan isn't coming from the music itself. Like Chaitanya, we talked about this with Prasada. You all know that story? He was eating Prasada, and he said, what is this taste? We all know the ingredients that are in this preparation, but none of these ingredients give this taste. Or you're reading the books. And there's enjoyment from reading books on stories and philosophy, but you can get a certain pleasure from these books that you cannot get from any story or philosophy. 
And it's like that with every aspect of Krishna consciousness, that there are at least times, maybe not consistently, but there are at least times when we experience some kind of happiness from something in Krishna consciousness that cannot be explained materially. So we're talking about feelings awakening for Krishna. It's on that level. It's happening on a different level of quality. And one of the attributes of it is that you know, just like you know when you have an inspiration from Krishna, although you may deny it afterwards. Afterwards you may doubt it and think, maybe that was just the mind. But when it's happening, you know it's Krishna. It has a different quality. Do you relate to this? Does everybody relate to this? I consider it the difference between a microphone and talking loudly. There's a different quality in the sound. And you can hear the different quality between the natural voice and the artificially amplified voice. And even if I get as loud as the microphone, there's still a difference in the quality of a natural voice and the quality of something artificially electrically amplified. There's a difference between matter and spirit. There's a difference between what's natural and what's artificial. And we can taste that. You can taste the difference between a tree-ripened, locally-grown fruit and a chemically-ripened, sitting-in-the-market fruit. And if you have never tasted the difference, wow, you are missing out on life. But once you taste that locally-grown, tree-ripened, vine-ripened food, it's very hard to eat anything from the shops anymore because it just has no flavor. You know, and we all we all can understand the difference between natural and artificial anything, natural and artificial beauty, natural and artificial sound, natural and artificial foods, and natural and artificial feelings. We instinctively know the difference. And certainly in Krishna consciousness, what's brought us to Krishna consciousness? Maybe we're attracted by the logic or the philosophy, or maybe it's our culture, and so it's just our cultural heritage. But ultimately, we should be experiencing... You said you wanted to do that. So ultimately, we should be experiencing that Krishna consciousness is a different quality. We should be experiencing that it's real, at least sometimes. And rather the bhakti starts when you experience that Krishna is real and he's a person and you have some particular personal attraction to as him as a person and not just as an idea or as a philosophy. Is that okay? And just like if you say to a 10-year-old, if your 10-year-old says to you, how will I know when I grow up? And you can talk about certain physiological symptoms or certain psychological symptoms. But at a certain point, you just know because your toys have no rasa in them anymore. You get out your fire truck and you go, zoom, zoom, and it's boring. And then you know, I'm not a little kid anymore. It may be confusing at first, but still, you know, something is happening. All right, so I hope that all of you by tomorrow, Krishna willing, will be able to get these materials, read through the rest of the introduction. And we are going to be going over that definition of bhakti. And what would we do if we took out any of those words? I hope you did find this interesting. And thank you very, very much for your participation and your patience and your presence.